0: You know, they're, they're working in the business. They're in one position. They're mi- micro instead of macro. Like your intention has to, be, has to be micro, but your vision has to be macro or your view has to be macro to see what's going on in the entire company. A lot of people don't empower. They manage from above instead of beside.
1: That's Army veteran Stephen Kuhn from Quadia Life Enterprises. Coming up next on Veteran on the
0: Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane.
1: Did you know you can get an American Express card through Navy Federal? The More Rewards card offers three times points at supermarkets and restaurants, three times points on gas and transit, and that means ride shares, tolls, parking lots, buses, and more, Plus, you'll learn one point on everything else. For more details and to apply, visit NavyFederal.org. All right, Stephen Kuhn, welcome to uh, Veteran on the Move. Your your company, Quality of Life Enterprises, is doing some amazing things out there. Before we get to talking about that and other business and entrepreneurship subjects, take us back. Tell us what you did in the Army.
0: Oh, wow. Well, well, here's a fun one. So uh, I, I got to tell you about why I joined the Army in the first place, and that was um, when I... When I was about eight years old, I decided I wanted to go in the Navy. And so I took, I read, and even right before um, I was getting ready to sign up, I took the pre-Navy classes. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to fold Navy, learned how to talk Navy, learned how to walk Navy. <laughs> and and then I went to uh, the recruiting station to sign up finally after talking to the recruiter a couple times. And he left me sitting there for about three hours. And in those three hours, this um, Army Sergeant First Class in his blues kept walking by and asked me what I'm doing there, why I'm waiting, and, hey, come on and check out the Army, check out the Army. And uh, after about three hours, I said, you know what? I'm checking out the Army. So I went in and signed up.
1: <laughs> you know, I've heard that story a thousand times, but you, you can change the service names around. I've heard that story <laughs> yeah. a thousand times, you know, because a lot of the recruiters share share the offices these days. Oh, yeah. And yeah. when they see one sitting there, the other guys just come in like vultures. <laughs>
0: yep. Yeah, exactly what he did. And, you know, it couldn't have worked out better for me. I, I went to boot camp Fort Knox, Kentucky. as a 19 kilo, which is a um, armored crewman on the um, M1 Abrams. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got sent to Germany. And when I went, got sent to Germany, I got sent directly to the what's called the, the Cat Company or Canadian Army Trophy competition. Um, it's a biannual competition of tank gunnery for all of NATO uh, since 1961. And the Americans had never won it. Well, the, the, comp- the year that I went, my platoon won Top Gun. To this day, the only 16 guys ever to win that trophy. So that was quite exciting. Um, so we went TDY, you know, and uh, like li- literally we were like celebrities of the Army. <laughs> and, yeah, That's it was right. crazy. So they sent it. You know, we met. You know, defense, the Secretary of Defense, they came, they had us on Good Morning America. They had, I mean, it was it was everywhere. So this was 1987. And, um, um, you know, after that, it sort of uh, – it, it led to the guys being spread out. Because, you know, it was a year long. It was no inward rotations, no outward rotations. It was a company of 60 people for one year. So it's very rare to have a company with no inward or outward rotations during that time. So we became very, very close-knit. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it was over, we were into the six wins or the four wins, whatever you call it. I stayed a little longer. And, uh, of course, being the last Cat Company winner in the whole brigade, I got kept getting chosen for what they like to call special duty. But like the driver for the brigade commander, the driver for battalion sergeant major and stuff like that. So I, I got to hang out with the big wigs at that time. I was only a spec four. And, um, you know, worked my way through and I got to know sort of things from above. And I used that to my advantage and uh, made sergeant pretty quick and uh, move on from there. Went to Iraq, uh, Operation Desert Storm with 8th Cavalry, Task Force task Force 8th Cav. Um, You know, we did the, um, what was it, uh, 78 Easting? Uh, battle of 78 Easting, I guess it's 78 Easting, or 77 Easting, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Uh, the largest tank battle after the Second World War. And
1: uh, Oh, yeah, you were involved in that? Yes. Oh, wow. You yes.
0: we were in the very front. So there yeah, was... Very yeah, second ACR was in front of us. They curved off to the right. It was Kuwait. We kept going straight and slammed right into the Republican Guard, Tawakana, and, and Medina Division. And so that was that famous battle. They actually have a video game. They had a video game of, about us called Spearhead because I was with 3rd Armored Division mm-hmm. attached to 7th Corps. And, uh, yeah, so after that, I, got a, you know, I went back to Germany where I was stationed and uh, got what they call a European out and literally walked off base as a civilian. Turned around, couldn't get back on.
1: So, <laughs> Okay. No and what was yeah, your plan?
0: I didn't really have a plan. I just knew that uh, I wasn't done yet. Um, I, you know, I spent almost eight years in the military and all of those times except for boot camp was in Germany. So I was in Schweinfurt. I was in, um, Gelnhausen and, uh, I was in Fulda as well. We did border patrol, uh, just a bunch of places, Berlin brigade also, which is where I got, I, I got out. When I got out, I went back to Berlin cause I was in Schweinfurt and, uh, yeah, I started working as a security guard. Um, and a doorman at the Hard Rock Cafe. So that was my, my humble beginnings, and that was in 1993. So, pretty.
1: A doorman at the Hard Rock Cafe. Where, where did that end up leading you to?
0: Well, funny you ask that because you know people say. Uh, well, the first thing I had to get get used to was that no one knew who I was anymore. So, in the military, you know, you have on your, you know, you have your rank, you have your years of service, you have your awards, you have, you know, all your everything you've ever done on your uniform. So no one has to ask who you are. And I'm standing at the door, 27 years old or 28 years old. And some, you know, like 15 year old kid wants to get in. I'm like, sorry, no, you got to be 18 or 21 to get in. And he's like, Oh, you loser, get a real job. And, you know, of course dealing with that (laughs) was a big, a big transition for me. But what I realized, what I realized was that no matter where I wanted to go, I knew that I could do it through people and through connections. So, and I learned that in the military through the colonel and the sergeant major. Mm -hmm. And what happened was, I started treating people and elevating them and making everyone feel like, wow, you got to go to Hard Rock Cafe and see Steve. It's amazing. So I would make sure that everyone would be really, really uh, pumped up when they came in and when they left and, you know, this whole um, sort of experience that I did. And what happened was that that just led from one thing to another. Then I got, you know, um, asked to work at a bar. Then I got asked to work at a restaurant. Then I took over the bar. Then I opened my own bar. Then I opened another bar and another bar. And then I started and I opened up a nightclub. So I just kept going on and on and on. And while I opened the nightclubs, I got asked to help a a chain from South Africa, um, who was a guest in my bar, uh, to bring their um, health club chain to Germany. Hmm. So I did that. I did that full time. Had my bar on the side. Had people working on my bars. And I had then, uh, you know, I just went nuts from there. I became, you know, three years after getting out of the military, I was making like 250k a year uh, as a director of European operations and development for this chain, and we had 87 clubs in nine countries. Uh, and there I was completely in over my head <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, imposter syndrome that, uh, it's just uh, out of control. I, I was always sitting there, um, asking myself, God, when are they going to come in and realize it's not, uh, I'm not really the guy I think I am, but I did it. And I actually, I actually did a quite a, quite a good job. And it just kept going from there. And then I had my first crash. And that first crash was my first wife. Um, That job ended. They had a joint venture. And um, we were listed on the stock market in the UK. And it was a um, hostile takeover. They fired all the directors. Um, At the same time, my wife left me. And uh, I had sort of a breakdown, I guess you could say.
1: Hmm.
0: So I had to rebuild again. And that's what I did. And started building up again. Went back to the health club chain But as a much lower position, which was hard enough, but it taught me humility. And I I did the same thing again. I said, okay, you know, people get me where I want to go. So I just started treating people fantastic, being the guy that everybody wanted to be around and go to and what what I call elevating them um, and investing in them in the relational capital, trying to make them, um, you know, better people, wanting for them what they want for them instead of trying to change people. So that all led, it just kept going on and on and on. Then I wrote a book and it was a bestseller. Uh, I got my MBA in the UK um, at the uh, second oldest business school in the world, which um, which was at the time I was pretty proud of. Right now, I could have done without it, but <laughs> really, didn't really teach me much except for what to name what I did anyway. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it just it just kept going from there. But I was always self employed through this whole process. I was never an employee. So when I was a director for the companies, and I was there's quite a few companies in between that I didn't mention, but you know, I worked my way up. That. Um, I just said, look, if you're going to pay me, you know, 200K a year, give it to me net. And I'll, I'll give you an invoice and you guys save all the national insurance and all of the, you know, all the taxes and stuff. And they're like, well, that'd be great.
1: Really?
0: Yeah. So I had no, no, no security whatsoever, which is normal for America. So in Europe, I was a complete anomaly. Like, look at this guy, he's going to work for us. And there's no like, you know, like, like there's no security because in Germany or in Europe, you once you're at a company for six months, it's almost impossible to fire somebody, wow. you know? So, Yeah. yeah. So there I was, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, bending it, bending it, uh, bending the rules a little bit.
1: And why, why were you approaching it from that angle? Why, why were you wanting to do it that way?
0: Um, because I, I wanted to do it my way. And I knew that if I, if, if I worked for them, that I had to do it their way. And I knew that even though I was working for them on a contract, that I was actually, still, because of my status, able to do a little bit more my way than anyone else. And actually, that caused some troubles in the company because people like, why does Steve have to do all this stuff? And we can't. <laughs> you know? They never said why because they didn't, want, um, they didn't want them to know that I was self-employed So because I was one of the directors. right? Yeah. So they, they play, played like I was a, a normal director.
1: So there really was a sense of freedom and independence by just being a contractor with him instead of taking the full
0: benefits package. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I, the, the benefits, I, I all actually also um, negotiated. So I, I had the 30 days of vacation every year the whole works. It's just that I always paid, you know, when, when you pay an employee, you got to pay national insurance, you got to pay all this social security, you pay all that stuff. But when you pay an entrepreneur, you don't. You just pay them what they're going to pay them. So whether they pay me, you know, 20K a month and they take off 10K for all the taxes and stuff, or they pay me directly on an invoice 20K a month and I pay the taxes, then of course, I have costs and travel and all this kind of stuff. So my taxes were much lower than if I would have taken it as an employee in the first place.
1: So out of curiosity, did you have national insurance since, you weren't, since your company wasn't paying the tax for it?
0: Yeah, you have to. You have to. It's, it's mandatory either way. You just had to pay I, yourself. Yeah, and health insurance too. Health insurance, and this is a trip because, and this, is, this will show you how socialism doesn't work. So if you're an employee and you're earning over 6000 a month, they take you at the maximum rate of 900 uh, at the time, D mark a month mm-hmm. paying for your health insurance. You pay 400 and the employee pays 400. Mm-hmm. But if you're self-employed earning over 6,000 a month, you you have a private insurance, which is much better. You get seen by the top doctor. You get a, your own high ho- hospital room. They cover they, they, they covered, um, dental and uh, vision as well. And it costs 300 bucks a month. So it's like, it makes okay. no sense. <laughs> yeah. But you have to earn six thousand a month to get there. So most of the people who don't earn that, they can't ever get there. So they're paying nine hundred as opposed to three hundred for a worse service.
1: And there's that's a previous to the story.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's why socialism doesn't work because you know you're paying for each other's. The people who make all the money, they're not paying for that. They're paying mm-hmm. for their private insurance. I mean, even right now in, in where I live in Hungary, I have German health insurance because I have a residency in Germany as well because it's it's a, a much better insurance because it's private. And here they have socialized insurance, which means if I want to get something done, I have to wait in line for hours, maybe even days to no. get there. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that. yeah.
1: I was real curious about that, but I didn't really want to ask because I wasn't sure which way you were going to go with that. So <clears throat> it's interesting <laughs> hearing that from an American living in dealing with several different countries in Europe, how the medical actually works, you know, because obviously medical, I don't want to go political here, but medical is a huge issue and a huge fight here in the U.S., which, by the way, you're in Hungary right now. I don't think we mentioned that. So we're doing this interview and you're from Hungary um, and I'm in the middle of the country in Kansas City. So it's pretty cool. Um, But that is interesting that you're an American, and you can see through all that, and oh, yeah. and have it, you know, from a dose of reality or dose of, you know, previous experience, and you you can see the advantages and disadvantages of, of the well, different ways.
0: And and they, they don't goof off here. I mean, if you don't if you don't uh, get your kids vaccinated, they'll just do it in school without even asking you. You know, so they, <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding, man. They don't mess around here. They'll come to your house and say, "Why aren't your kids vaccinated?" You know, and and it's it's and they have more mandatory vaccinations in Hungary than they do anywhere else. So it's uh, you, know, you it's can't a, throw
1: down the religious freedom card?
0: No, but you can, as a foreigner, like I can, like I am, I can say, well, I'm a resident in Germany and so are my kids, so uh, we're getting the German vaccinations and not the Hungarian ones. Mm. So, you know, there's still ways around it, but as soon as everything's digitalized, you have no choice. But, mm. you know, then, then, but then again, they have other att- attractions. For instance, they're trying to attract entrepreneurs here, so they have a, you know, a flat tax of 10%, which is amazing. Yeah. If, but only if you're an entrepreneur. If you're not an entrepreneur, you're paying 50 plus tax. Really? Yeah. So the forty-four percent. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. For the first forty k is is tax free. After that, you pay ten percent flat. And it's incredible. Yeah, but most people here they can't even fathom being an entrepreneur because they were raised and their well their parents were raised anyway in socialism, hardcore communism, socialism. So they're like entrepreneur. I can't take that risk. I need my security. I'd rather have, you know, the average wage here is six to eight hundred. You know, euros, which is uh, probably seven to nine hundred dollars a month. That's the average wage in Hungary. That's an
1: interesting point. Do you actually do actually see that amongst the culture and the population there, where they they haven't been raised in a in a freedom mentality or a capitalistic type entrepreneurial mentality, so they don't even really know what entrepreneurship is, or or like you mentioned, oh, that's just a big risk. I'm just going to take the safe road because in the U S there's a lot of people that are, that have that mentality, but there's so many people that have the capitalistic entrepreneur mentality around you all the time. You know, it's it's there for the taking when you're ready for it.
0: Well, if you're an American and you've ever lived anywhere or spent, spent some time outside of the States in any kind of capacity other, other than, other than vacation or holiday, you're going to see that the attitude that we carry with us just from birth for being an American, the way we think and the, the looking at the positive and the possible and not the impossible um, you're an anomaly. That's why I do so well over here. You know, as I, I I have clients all over Europe, and it's it's and we've even started a political party, which is now the third largest party in Germany.
1: And you obviously, you obviously haven't haven't gone more towards how they do things over there. You've really dug in on how we do things in the U.S. more so.
0: Oh yeah, of course. I mean, that's that's well, you you know, you, you got to keep your, yourself unique. If I'm like everybody else here, was why would they why would they need me? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I walk into places all the time that blows my mind. I mean, I, I've worked for Mick Jagger, Olivia Newton-John, Andrea Bocelli, just like, like superstars because they're like, oh, you're an American? Okay, good. We can use you. It's great. Because they know, okay, this guy's going to get the job done.
1: Wow. You know, it's,
0: it's that, that, that mindset, yeah, of course. Yeah. You know. All
1: right, Steven. Okay, so you're dropping some big names. We're going to take yeah. a quick break. We're going to come right back and then we're going to talk about, talk about that. Hold on. Navy Federal Credit Union has a mission to put members first by making their financial goals a priority. And I can confirm that because I've been a Navy Federal Credit Union member for over 30 years. Navy Federal offers checking account options to meet your needs so that you can enjoy no or low monthly fees, access to thousands of free ATMs, ATM fee rebates, dividends, peace of mind knowing your money's secure, and direct deposit for fast access to your money. And I might also add, they've got great business accounts. I actually have several business accounts with Navy Federal Credit Union. With Navy Federal Checking, You're in control. You get to set alerts to keep track of your balance and transactions so you're always in the know. Navy Federal proudly serves the Armed Forces, DOD, veterans, and their families. To see if you're eligible to join, go to NavyFederal.org. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Navy Federal is federally insured by NCUA. All right, back talking with Stephen Kuhn, Quality of Life Enterprises. All right, Stephen, before the break, you said, I work with Mick Jagger and Levi Newton-John. I'm like, whoa, 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 <laughs> hold, hold on here a second. Okay, are you serious? Like, how, how did that, how did you come to that?
0: Well, I, if you really want to know the truth, I just basically walked up to him and said that what, what I can, you know, offer them as far as a solution for the problem that I knew they had, and they accepted. So, the, so the, the, the problem that Mick Jagger had is he was in Berlin, and his bodyguard hurt himself and was in London. And this was in 1998, and I Waited for him at his hotel and said, Hey, when he came in, I said, Hey, I'm, I'm your new bodyguard. And he said, What do you mean? Who sent you? I said, I sent me. And then I said, What I, you know, I speak German. I know the city. I'm, I'm ex military, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I'm qualified. And he said, Talk to my, talk to CJ, uh, who was assistant. And CJ asked me, If you answer this question correctly, you got the job. And I said, Go ahead. He said, Do you know where to get the best German sausages? I said, I do. <laughs> I said, All right. How's 400 bucks a day? And that was it. So, you know, it was, uh, it was uh, pretty amazing. And then Olivia Newton-John, I met on a beach in Florida and, uh, just said, yeah, I live in Europe. And we started got to talk and next thing you know, she sent one of her guys over here. We hooked up, became friends and we ended up taking her com- company to six different countries over here. And what that did is that, that showed me, look, man, Steven, you're, you got much more possibility than you believe. We, we never know what we're capable of until we're thrown into it. Right. Mm-hmm. So much like when you go to war and, um, that's what I started doing, so as I did with the health club chain and the other chains that I worked with, I would start a company or I would turn it around and so, for the last you know fifteen years, probably, uh, I've been doing turnarounds and mm. uh meaning business turnarounds companies that are in trouble, companies that need it that are stuck at a at a revenue plateau and can't break through I sort of take them to that level and I worked with Fortune 500 companies, NASDAQ companies, you know, stock market in, in the UK, the German politicians, uh, that kind of stuff, um, uh, the political parties and stuff because it's all about money, right? So, um, so I, I got pretty good at it and um, about a year and a half ago, I, I hooked up with a, um, a special forces vet named Lane Ballone and uh, we started a quality of life enterprises. Q O L and uh, we do consulting mm-hmm. and we do a program called the humble alpha leader program. And that stems from the book that's coming out on the 2nd of March called unleash your humble alpha. And that's at humblealphabook.com. book.com. Mm-hmm. You can then you can download an excerpt of it. And what that is, it's a five step program to, to unleashing the epic leader, father, brother, man inside of you. And we're, we base this on our life and how we live. You see, I mean, I if people ask me all the time, well, what qualifies you to, to say all this stuff? Well, I, I don't know if it's a qualification, but uh, Lane and I both um, do what we want to do when we want to do it, how we want to do it, with who we want to do it. We're not bound by anyone's rules, and that's because we're both in a, in a position where we're alphas, but we're also humble enough to be able to realize we have to learn all the time and that we have to teach. So we base the book on five core principles. Um, I, I won't go through them all, but there's five core principles that we live by that actually are proprietary. This means this is not regurgitated and it's not theory mm-hmm. this is actual real life and um, like I said, the book's coming out on second of March the program it, it will be available as of the second of March as well and of course um, besides that I you know i I buy and sell companies SMEs bring them to the stock market under um, what they call an agglomeration which is a um, uh, a very very small cost for you to bring your company, SME that makes at least one million a year, into the stock market mm-hmm. for pennies for pennies on the dollar, which then doubles your valuation overnight and gives you gives you access to institutional capital. It's just, you know it's all business. It's all business and it's all people. So it doesn't matter what I do. It's always with people and businesses. And I'm known for getting the contacts that other people can't get. So
1: yeah. So I think there's probably you'd probably agree there's definitely a common theme with when you walk into a company that's struggling. <clears throat> there's probably definitely a common theme granted there's the business aspects of it but there's probably a common theme to what's missing or what's not happening or yeah. the wrong things that are happening w- can you speak to that a little bit like um sure. i mean you move with walking right up to mick jagger and saying i mean a <laughs> that's awesome <clears throat> but uh granted obviously you got to be bold at times um and you got to have the confidence but when, when you w- once you is there a common theme with what typically is going wrong, not only with people and individuals themselves, but with companies?
0: Oh yeah, um, you know, I can I can typically see within a half an hour, forty five minutes of being in a company, where where it's sticking, and typically it's leadership. Um, you know, they're they're working in the business, working in the business. They're in one position. They're mi- they're ma- mi- micro instead of macro. Like your intention has to be has to be micro, but your vision has to be macro or your view has to be macro to see what's going on in the entire company. A lot of people don't empower. They manage from above instead of, instead of beside. Um, and there's a lot of things that people don't know that they don't know what to do. So, for instance, there's three ways to grow a company and only three ways, and that's um, higher prices, more clients, and repeat sales. Fourth way is to buy a company. And underneath those three ways are 35 different ways to do those. And I can go into a company and say, what are you doing? Let me see. your. When's the last time you did a mailing to your mailing list? Oh, we haven't. Okay, there's number one. Right? How, how many collaboration partners do you have? We don't have collaboration partners. Okay, there's number two, and I can literally, with immediate impact, have revenue within a couple of days into that company just by implementing some of these procedures. But that's, that's uh, you know, that's the easy part. The hard part is actually the culture. Structures are easy, culture is difficult. Hmm. My MBA was actually in management of change, so I, I studied this. If that matters, um, <laughs> and yeah, it doesn't really matter because I was doing it before. I was doing it before that too. But you know, yeah. some people want that that box checked. Yep. And, um, so yeah, it's typically the leader is not, um, aligned with his identity and purpose within the company. So their identity might be on the CEO, but that's actually not an identity. That's what they are and not who they are. And when you, when you recognize yourself as a title, then you're missing the alignment that you have. And that's typically why, um, leaders of companies have uh, a less than, um, that's say less than good um, home life, if you know what I mean, because they're working too much, they're focused on that they're, they feel feel powerful at work and not powerful at home, and a good thing I always ask is like, hey, if your wife was in a, a fly in the wall in the boardroom, would she recognize you, and vice versa, if one of your employees were in your dining room at dinner time, if you even eat together um would they would they recognize you or would you be embarrassed wow, and that's, that's powerful that, that's like a litmus test, and I would say. 85, 90% of all leaders say, damn, that's, that's hard.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: And I can say that the humble alpha unleash your humble alpha book. That's what it's all about is getting you that presence in life, own your own presence and you own it in every sector of life. So no matter if you walk into your living room or you walk into a boardroom or you walk into a room with 3000 people, people realize you're there and that you own your presence. And it's just so important when you're doing business. And that's how I could walk up to, to Mick Jagger, Olivia, or Andrea Bocelli. And what I do when I do that, I call it, we call it in the book creating space. And creating space is real simple. I go up to any person I go up to with, or I speak to a group of people or I'm in a boardroom or whatever. And I have one intention and one intention only. And that is to create value. I don't have any expectations. I don't have any cookie cutter solutions. I don't wait for them to get done talking so I could shoot my, my proposal. I literally go in with zero expectations and one intention and that always creates a win-win so that's how you can walk up to anyone i mean i used to, I, I walked up to you know bill clinton and hey william jefferson clinton how you doing you think he turned around of course he did because i used his whole name no one does that so mm-hmm. there's always a way to, to there's always a way to be that person that people want to talk to
1: man that's interesting so <clears throat> um some of the things what you're talking about I know this sounds a little cliche, but over here American TV, you know, watching The Profit and Shark Tank and any of that stuff that comes on, I'm always interested in watching it. Not necessarily from from you know why they why they want me to watch it, but I find it fascinating. I pick up on the fact that most of the time there's an issue with the business. It it, it is because the leadership of the business, the founder, the the guy who started the you know, had the big idea in the beginning, the guy who's running the company, whatever, they just can't get out of their own way. And, and yep. you mentioned, you you glossed over this really quick, but this is a huge point. I even know uh, some folks that have oriented their entire consulting business around this, you know, the whole, the the catchphrase. The problem with a lot of leaders is they're working in their business instead of working
0: on their business. On their business, exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. so obviously, why do you suppose... And I even catch myself doing this, even with like something simple as this podcast, I find myself working in it. Obviously, no one, can, no, no one else can do the interview for me, but I find myself right. in the weeds a lot of the time where I right. don't really need to be there. So what do you suppose the, the trigger mechanism is for most people getting stuck working in their business instead of working on it?
0: Well, you start out small, don't you? It's, it's your idea. So Mm -hmm. you you put one block on top of yourself, yeah. Yeah, you put one block on the top of the other. The other block. Next thing you know, you got 500 blocks, and you're still trying to do it. (laughs) It's you know you have to. I always say you can delegate the task, but never the responsibility. Mm -hmm. So the responsibility itself is massive, but the task isn't massive. Just the responsibility is. So when you delegate and you give directives, or you give the vision, or you you share the vision, people are going to want to do that for you when you're let's say, a humble alpha, they're going to say, well, I want to follow Steve. I want to do this for him because I love his vision. I love the direction he's going, and I can identify with him. Mm-hmm. But that can only happen if I have a culture of productivity um, in, in, in the company. We actually teach in the program how you can take this down to your teams and increase innovation, productivity, and decrease conflict, right? Just because of the fact that everyone's aligned, and not just aligned on a piece of paper with a nice picture and poster on the wall with all this like <laughs> you know, motivational stuff, but yeah. really, I tell you, it takes a lot of work, but yeah, you know, because you know, we all start out, and we all start out as entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs are famous for knowing one thing really well, and the rest not. Mm-hmm. And they're also they're also famous for saying, "No, I can do it myself." You know.
1: <laughs> oh yeah.
0: You know, so that's 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 usually what it is, and it doesn't take long for them to step back. It's hard for them to do it, but it doesn't take long for them to realize, yeah, I got to step back unless someone take care of this.
1: Yeah, and it's so easy. Even online businesses, it's so easy. Like, oh, I've got, I'm starting a podcast, and next thing you know, I need I need to become. An expert on how to build a website, and then, then I got to be a, become an expert on how to how to be a social media expert, and yep. not only become a social media expert, but spend all my time doing social media every day. <laughs> and, and now I'm not even I don't even have time to do my podcast interviews. So it it's yeah, it's a, happens really yep. easy.
0: Yeah. Well, this is what I do. This is real simple. If I don't feel like doing it because I don't I'm not interested in it, then I won't do it. I won't even learn it. You're gonna you're gonna like I'll, I'll get someone to do it for me. Typically, it's a either volunteer or someone that uh, wants to learn from me or mentor. I I mentor them, and I, I'll just say, look, you learn it. I'll pay for it, whatever course it is you need to learn, or whatever. Or if they're already a, you know efficient at it, just do it. and Explain to me how it works one time, and we're done. And just make sure it works yeah. well. And as soon as I make it works, I'm done. And to tell, because look, I need my time to be innovative. I need my time to be creative all the time. I can't yeah. be stuck in. I can't be stuck, you know, typing up a document about an interview that I had because I have a podcast too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right now my, my volunteer isn't volunteering at the moment cause there's some stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So I got, I'm three podcasts behind cause I'm just not doing the write ups. <laughs> I'm just not doing it. I'm just yeah. not doing it. It doesn't, doesn't trip my trigger. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, um, so you hit on a very, very important point there. Um, you, you said that, uh, I totally lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> Um, actually, my wife just opened the door. Was waving by to me. Said, "Tell I'm in my yeah. professional studio here. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, hey, you know, life happens. So, um, uh, you had mentioned, and I think this is sometimes where where veteran entrepreneurs can can step on the landmine or or hit the roadblock, you know, obstacle, whatever it may be. From a from a military veteran perspective, we, we think we're invincible. We think we're bulletproof. We can do anything, and coming out of the military it's like, oh, I can finally just do everything myself, you know, or you get caught in that trap really quick where all of a sudden you think you can become a website expert, a social media expert and a podcaster all at the same time because you feel invincible and you, you can finally dedicate yourself to it and you're going to do it. But you right. mentioned, well, if, if, if I don't really feel like doing something, then I don't do it. I just go find someone else. Well, from a, from a military perspective... We're so used to sucking up pain and uncomfortableness uh, all the time yep. that it's it's a mind shift to to say, hey, this gives me energy to do it every day. These things don't give me energy, and these things suck energy out of me. Yeah. Exactly. W- from a military perspective, it's like, well, I'm just going to have to get used to it and suck it up. Where from a business perspective, you don't do that. You you gotta- well if
0: you're if you're an NCO and officer, you you, you delegate it too, right? Yeah, so you had troops. The troops doing that stuff. So I just, you know, I just—it's just a how. It's the angle that you look at it from. Don't look at it from the inside. Look at it from the outside. Okay, you're a structure. You have a company. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the head, and you're you're doing everything right now. You have no employees. Well, maybe you have someone that can help you out, paying three hundred bucks a month or whatever, mm-hmm. and they'll help you out. Uh, they'll do all of the admin. Then you have a partner, maybe that comes on. That's not one company partner, but you guys collaborate. They do something that you don't like to do, and you do something that they don't like to do. And so you're working together. You're moving forward, but you're you're actually enjoying what you're doing and not doing the things that you don't like and exactly. i know that sounds like people are like oh you're you you can have that luxury i've always been that way when i got out I, you know when when i got out and i started opening my bars and stuff i didn't know you know i didn't know how to do the coffee guys and all this i was like i don't even i don't care just get someone to do it for me yeah you know cuz i want to focus on a thing that i'm killing and that's that's how you reach goals you are hyper focused on the one thing that you're going to reach the one thing that you want to reach the one thing that you want to absolutely kill and then you got to write down a goal for that for what it is that you wanna kill. And if it's a monetary goal, then write it down with a date, right? So this is what I'm gonna do by this time. You have to live it, eat it, taste it, smell it. You know, you, you have to have it that way. And most people get in there, like, entrepreneurs start a business, and then they're asking around, and they think they have to form an LLC and pay all kinds of money, get this, that, and the other. You don't. Just get started, put one foot in front of the other, and make it happen for yourself. See what happens. Adjust, fire, and adjust, as we say, right? Absolutely. Walk it in. What did you say with a fifty caliber? Walk it in, right? <laughs> yep. You bet.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was just listening to. Uh, you know, my wife was listening to uh, one of the Amazon courses she's going through at the moment, and uh, at the end, the guy was kind of summarizing, said he doing this one activity he made 65 grand last year just one one of the activities yeah. but he had to spend 25 grand paying virtual assistants and people to do all sorts of other stuff for him and so his net was 40 grand just for that one activity And so yeah. he's like i got a lot of people tell me man you should just do it all and make 65 instead of <laughs> only making 40. he's like no i'm not going to do that because i'm, I'm going to pay people i'm going to pay people to do the nickel work and i'm going to do the big the big work myself and so yeah. he's free He's free and only makes forty grand or he's totally consumed and makes sixty five
0: and, and and that's key also we, when you look at scaling you know a, a lot of people it's impossible for a lot of entrepreneurs to scale because they do everything themselves
1: yeah you got to build capacity
0: you'll, yeah you'll never be big you know, it's, it's, it's if, if I look at what I do sometimes you know I mean I don't usually talk about my earnings, but I made you know um, you know occasionally per month I make six figures right so mm-hmm. um, and that and that and that entails about Oh, about 10 hours of work a week. So if you can imagine the difference between making six figures a month and 10 hours a week as, uh, 40 hours a week and making not even five figures like an employee, right. you see the, 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 the path that you can go as an entrepreneur. And that's, amazing, that's yeah. and that's, um, because I scaled number one through reducing my client base and increasing my price going on a higher level. And then be able to have more impact. So yeah. um, that's one way of scaling. The other way of scaling is, of course, hiring people. But that, I'd always caution against that depending on what your business model is. But, for instance, when I was um, hired uh, or brought on, contracted to sell a product online called Laybag, um, when I started, I had absolutely no idea what to do. Never did anything online in my life. And we did $30 million in six months. Um, and that was through uh, <laughs> calling Walmart, calling Target and calling Costco and say, hey, how do I sell stuff to you guys? And the next thing you know, they're, they're, they're buying 20,000 units and, you know, 10,000 units and, and then we're selling online and, you know. Well, yeah, and it just, awesome. you just, yeah. But I kept, I, mean, I need a techie, do it. I need, <laughs> I need some websites, do it. I need a, I need a, a customer service rep for, yeah. you know, for the, for the program, go do it. And it was just, you guys get, you know, revenue share and this, that, and the other, blah, 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 blah. It was crazy.
1: Well, hey, Stephen, unfortunately, we're out of time. Um, give us your website one more time and where we can find your book. This episode is coming out on the 9th of March, so uh, your book will have just launched. Um, so give us where we can find both of those.
0: Sure thing. Um, humblealphabook.com is the one book, is the is, is website, and um, our um, business website is qolenterprises.com, Q um, as in quality of life, enterprises.com.
1: Awesome. And I'm going to give you the final word. If you're talking to someone who's still in the military going through a transition and they've got this concept in their head, they really want to get out and run their own business, become an entrepreneur, what kind of advice would you have for them?
0: Do it yourself. Um, In the beginning, don't depend on anyone. No one's responsible for you except for you. I know we like working in teams, and I know we love having the support of other veterans, but no one has your best interest at heart besides you. I promise you, take it from a guy who failed many a time. By leaning on other people, it won't work for you. It'll cause heartaches. And to go into it with no expectations and only with intentions. Intentions are the beginning. You can control that. Expectations are the end. You can't control that. Control Control what you can control and be successful that way.
1: Awesome. Well, hey, Stephen, lots of golden nuggets. I wish we could go on for a couple more hours. Um, look forward to your future success. And I have to check out your podcast, too. What, 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 hey, how do you find your podcast? Is that on the QL Enterprises?
0: Um, no, it's not, actually. It's, uh, that's my private podcast, so it's called The Hit Show. And The HIT stands for Honesty, Integrity, Transparency. Oh, yeah, you can okay. read about that in the book. Yeah, so it's the, the, the H period, I period, T period, Hit Show with Stephen Cohn. It's on Apple, Stitcher, all those places. Awesome.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right, well, that's it. We're my out brother. of time, and appreciate the, the great golden nuggets, and we look forward to your future success. Thank you, brother. All right, these two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.